I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to the Go Gamecocks podcast presented by the State Newspaper. I'm your host, Greg Hadley. And we are here to recap all the South Carolina news you need to know in the length of your average commute. I am joined by Andrew Ramsbacker, and we are talking about the most important storyline right now, Alabama Week for the Gamecocks. Andrew, you wrote an oral history of the 2010 game between South Carolina and Alabama, the biggest upset win in program history. When you were going through that, you talked to Coach Steve Spurrier, and I was just kind of curious, what were his memories from that, and how do you think the program now has changed? Well, first thing... It was my first time interviewing uh, Steve Spurrier and Stephen Garcia for that. And those are two guys that you hear about a lot, I think, when you come to the beat here and a couple of characters on their own right. And I'll say for my first time interviewing that both of them, they both came as advertised. <laughs> Honest, uh, reflective in a way, but also very insightful of what was two of the bigger wins in both of their careers. Uh, obviously, Coach Spurrier from a coaching side and, and, and Steven Garcia, as many people have said, played the game of his life at that point. Um, in terms of comparing that 2010 team and the program at that point to now, uh, which is the first time Alabama returns to williams Bryce Stadium since that game, I think it's different. I think if you look at South Carolina in 2010, you see the future NFL players all over that roster. <laughs> Obviously, Alshon Jeffrey, Stephon Gilmore, you know, the Devin Taylor, Melvin Ingram was on that roster. I mean, uh, Marcus Lattimore, a guy who was a fourth-round pick, who I think a lot of people would agree if didn't have the injuries in college, probably would have been hired, maybe is still playing in the NFL. So there was a lot of talent. DJ Swearinger was on that roster, right? You know, this team, does it have that kind of talent, I think, nine years later where the program is? I don't think so. But that 2010 team arguably was the greatest, you know, collection of talent maybe this this program has seen in, in a really long time. I think differences in, I think, big game approach is a little different. Yeah, I was going to mention that because one of the interesting things in your oral history was Stephen Garcia saying when he walked in for to Steve Spurrier's office, he could tell he was serious because he didn't have his golf club in his hand. Yeah, that was Tori Gurley. Oh, uh, Tori Gurley. And, and, and Tori was maybe the best interview I had for this, a guy who had all the had all the stories for me, whether they were 100% true or not. They were great stories. So, we, you know, we go with them. I only say that because Steven Garcia kind of refuted a couple of them. But from his recollection, he remembers going into Coach Springer's office on the day one install and his, his biggest kind of clue that this was a little different with Coach Springer was when he went there to discuss and go over the game plan, it was an actual one-on-one meeting and they were dissecting film, which I know that doesn't seem out of the ordinary for Coach Spurrier. That maybe was out of the ordinary because a lot of times he would have those one-on-one player meetings and he would apparently do it with a putter in his hand <laughs> and uh, kind of be working on his putting game a little bit. And Tory Gurley said the golf clubs were in the corner of the office and uh, he was kind of dialed in and, and, and zoned in. And uh, according to Tory Gurley, uh, he was very adamant in wanting to beat uh, Nick Saban and, and that particular Alabama team, which obviously had come in on a 19-game win streak and 
talk about South Carolina's talent. That Alabama team was just loaded uh, at any position. You look at guys that are still in the NFL now. So they were very uh, cued in. It was a different week. Tori Gurley spoke about they did some good on good, you know, ones versus ones in practice, not as much scout team uh, versus your starters. So that was that was different. And Steven Garcia talked about how he felt that week, that week of prep was the most relaxed quote-unquote chill coach Spurrier ever was during his time here and for Stephen Garcia he wishes coach Spurrier was like that all the time during his career (laughs) obviously they had some uh some bouts over those four years but it just kind of all came together the the prep week and leading into it and kind of reporting that story and asking about the build-up I think what I learned the most is that these guys really felt they were going to go in there and win and from the game plan to to everything else certainly they, they went out there and executed it. And so then, of course, we talked to Coach Will Muschamp today and kind of asked him how he's kind of approaching a really big game like this, and he gave a very different answer. Let's listen to that real quick. One of the many things I learned from Nick is you treat every game the same, and that's the way he approaches his organization. That's the way he approaches every game to, to, to maintain balance and not the ebbs and flows of, of how you approach a game. So you treat one game really, really important, and the next week it's not important. They're all important. And obviously the, the players, you know, we had a – probably more juice at a Tuesday practice this morning than we've had, and that's normal. That's that's part of it, and I always talk in terms of the build-up to game day to Saturday afternoon at 3.30, but one of the many things I learned from him was, you know, the players understand the important games, and they understand that, but you as a coach have to approach all of them the same because then your players will start choosing and picking when they think it's important to play and when it's not important to play, and then you create the ups and downs in your performance, and you don't have consistency in your performance. And I agree with him 100% on those things. So, yeah, Andrew, obviously Coach Muschamp's taking a very different approach. Does that just – I mean, that really just strikes me as, you know, exemplifying both of those coaches' personalities. Yeah, not surprised by Coach Muschamp's answer there. Uh, you know, he, earlier in, in, in the press conference he spoke about how he likes to do everything – very similar to how Coach Saban runs his program, a guy who he used to work for at LSU and the Dolphins. And the fact that Muschamp doesn't want to make one big one game bigger than the next kind of falls right in line with what we know about Nick Saban. <laughs> he doesn't really play up anything from, from one week to the next. So that not surprising at all, but obviously I think a lot of coaches probably will talk like that. Coach Spurrier is the one that's uh, a little more unique in, in his in his rep- approach, and which is – Certainly refreshing for some. I think it's great from a from a media perspective. Gives a different mm-hmm. take. Looking at that twenty ten game, you know, it's the last time an SEC East team beat Alabama. It's something that just doesn't happen very often under Nick Saban. Do you think there's anything that this year's team can look at as kind of a roadmap as how to how to beat a team like Alabama? There was some talk today about wide receiver play and that when Alabama plays you and that Nick Saban defense, they will go a lot of one on one corner on on receiver that was something that when I talked to Gary Danielson who was uh, the CBS analyst back in 2010 was at practice leading into that 2010 game he noticed coach Spurrier was really trying to take advantage of that particularly with Alshon Jeffrey and I think nine years later I don't think coach Saban Nick Saban's changed that approach at all I think you're still going to have a lot of one-on-one matchups Will Muschamp spoke today a lot of 50-50 balls South Carolina on offense or South Carolina on defense, there's going to be a lot of 50-50 balls, and you got to win those matchups. 
That team had Alshon Jeffrey, which certainly helped. He was probably maybe the best in the country at that time in winning those type of matchups. He's one of the best in the NFL right now in winning that. Can Brian Edwards be that guy for South Carolina? He's probably on that, you know, a tier below Alshon Jeffrey was in terms of his college stature and things of that nature, but certainly a future pro like Alshon Jeffrey was. So I think that's a parallel. Um, and a similar skill set, too. Yeah, big receiver that can stretch the field. He can take shots with that. Certainly Steven Garcia was very comfortable throwing up to Alshon nine years ago. And I think Ryan Helinski, as he saw in his first start, very comfortable trying to find Brian Edwards down the field. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the, that's the big parallel that, that sticks out to me in terms of maybe – uh, a blueprint, if you will, of Alabama then to Alabama now. Well, thank you, Andrew. I appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now we'll bring in our main football writer, Ben Briner, as always. Ben, looking at this game... I think you could say maybe the biggest thing is keeping Ryan Holinsky safe from Alabama's pass rush. Do you think South Carolina's offensive line, especially after the changes they made after week one, is up to the task? I think it's going to be a really, really tall task. A lot of that's going to come down to Holinsky himself getting the ball out, making quick passes, and some some a little bit on the game plan if you can scheme that, because it's, it's going to be hard. Alabama's Alabama. They've got NFL dudes. South Carolina's offensive line, I think, has more talent potential than it has in past years but I just don't know if they'll have the ability to hold up all game long now the question is you know if you get him sacked two or three times versus getting him sacked six or seven times that obviously makes a big difference I think they've got a chance but I think everyone's gonna have to play really on top of their game yeah those two young guards of Javon Gwynn and Jordan Rhodes they came into the lineup in week two and played a Charleston Southern team as we've discussed that you know wasn't going to challenge them much anyway how much is it going to be on them to stop them? To a degree, I think it is. A lot of it's going to come down to communication, because when uh, when Will Muschamp was was talking about what kind of got them, what kept them out of the lineup, and what eventually got them into the lineup, that came down to not totally knowing exactly assignment wise what they needed to do. And against Charleston Southern, you can probably overwhelm phys- folks physically a little bit. In this game, they won't be able to do that, and you're going to be going up against a Nick Saban blitz package. And that in itself is quite a bear. I think it just it puts a lot on those two guys, especially, and on Donnell Stanley to keep them kind of all on the same page. You mentioned at one point the game plan of Ryan Holinsky maybe, you know, getting the ball out quickly. How much did you do that did we see against Charleston Southern and how valuable will that be for him? We saw a lot of that against Charleston Southern. It seemed like, especially early, they were trying to sort of scheme things up to make life a little bit easier for him. Now, it helped that Charleston Southern was playing its corners pretty far off, so they could throw a lot of quick outs, 
get him comfortable, throw a lot of swing passes because, frankly, Tavian Feaster or Rico Dowdle should be able to shake some some FCS linebackers. So the question is going to be, can they get a little more precise? Can they have stuff that's going to get them a little bit more in terms of maybe more slants, maybe more hitches when it's appropriate? And a lot of that's going to come down to receivers just winning their matchups against defensive backs. And on the other side of the ball, South Carolina getting pressure on Alabama's offensive front and their quarterback, Tua Tungalayova. I don't know if I said that one right. Um, How important is that going to be? Especially, they haven't really gotten too many sacks so far this year. I think it's Tua Tungalayova. In terms of getting pressure on him, the thing with him is he is very mobile. He is very good at escaping. So it'll be sort of quirky to see, do they dial up some extra pressures? Do they kind of go for the jugular on that front? Or do they hope that their four-man rush can hold up? I think when push comes to shove, you're going to need a big Kinlaw day and you're going to need a big DJ Wanham day. Thus far, as you said, they haven't had much in terms of sacks. I think some of that is because of the teams they're playing. They just, they're going against teams that run a lot of quick game, a lot of fast stuff. I mean, Charleston Southern was basically a four-wide spread, which almost no one uses these days. And UNC, they're breaking in a freshman quarterback, so they ran the ball a lot, did a lot of RPO stuff. And even then, they they actually got to the quarterback a decent amount. A lot of that's just going to be a matter of Tua is a really smart quarterback and can probably move out of the way of some pressure or just throw his way out of pressure. So if they can actually get to him, if they can, and I, if they can create enough traffic on the back end that he has to wait and, and go to second and third reads, maybe they can get to him. Yeah, and going off of that, Tua has a lot of options at wide receiver, including All-American Jerry Judy. For South Carolina's defensive backs, especially their corners, J.C. Horn and Israel Mukwamu, how big of a challenge is that? Do you think they'll be able to play much man-to-man? I think they probably can. I think they'll at least try at some points. That's going to be an interesting one because, obviously, if you go man-to-man, you risk big plays. And, frankly, if this team risks big plays against Alabama, you could give up a bunch of really, really big plays. I think they'll probably try to do Horn on Judy, but... The problem with Alabama is they have a lot of dudes, a lot of future NFL guys. So I think maybe you could see a little bit more of that bend, don't break stuff, but a lot of that's still going to be reliant on making tackles against big, fast, athletic guys. Yeah, like you said, Alabama's got this top-to-bottom depth and talent that's, you know, a lot of going to play in the NFL. Do you see any weaknesses, though, that South Carolina could potentially attack for, to pull off this, what would be a huge upset? Uh, Not particularly. Uh, it's... It's just a really good offense. I think their defense, at least last year, had had some trouble in terms of locking up man-to-man. And so maybe you could have some situations where Shai Smith or Brian Edwards could win their battles. And if Ryan Lindsay can get them the ball, you get some big plays. That's at least how Clemson did it last season. Granted, Clemson has a lot of dudes and a lot of pieces. I think if, if they're going to put a dent in this team, you're going to need some receivers to really make plays one-on-one. I think the line right now is at 25 and a half points. When you look at your prediction for this game, I, I don't know if you've published it yet, but what do you what do you see happening? I have not published it yet. I've written it. And at the moment, I think I have Alabama covering just barely. This is a very, very good football team, and they could probably beat a lot of good football teams by 26 points. South Carolina, it's not totally clear yet what the quality of the team is. You've got a freshman in his second start. You've got a team that had a, a, a pretty disheartening opening loss and a pretty good bounce back against an overwhelmed opponent. I think if they can stay within 
20, that's actually probably a pretty good sign, assuming it's not just a, a massive backdoor cover. But otherwise, I think I, I think this is going to be more a game where South Carolina fans are trying to pick through and find some of the good in what might be a pretty tough afternoon in Williams-Brice. Yeah, like we discussed on the last podcast, this is a tough one for South Carolina, and it might not be able to tell too much about them after this, you know, unless they are able to exceed expectations. Fans can go back and find those little positive moments, but for the most part, it's going to be, you know, either they, it is what we think it is, and or a lot of good teams can lose to Alabama, or, uh, you know, they impress us and do something we're not expecting. Yeah, it's interesting because you're going to end up having back-to-back weeks where the outcome is somewhat notable, but the context is extremely lacking. What South Carolina did last week and what South Carolina can potentially do this week, unless they surprise, really won't tell us a lot about what happens when they kind of get into the meat of the schedule in terms of games that are going to define this season. Your Missouris, your Kentuckys, your Appalachian States, your Florida game, maybe your Texas A&M game. Those are the games that are going to define what this season is unless they pull off a shock the world upset. And those are really hard to count on. So for the moment, I think that you're going to get to the end of this week, you'll take what's good, and then you'll say on to the next, on to the other Columbia, and on to figuring out what South Carolina really is this season. Yeah, that's when you really see if this will be a bowl team. Mm -hmm. All right, that's all the time we have for now. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe. As a reminder, during football season, we release episodes every Monday and Wednesday, and you can find those wherever you get your podcasts.